Good evening, everybody, and welcome to One World. 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 Huge apologies with Bill Bryson. This one I've chosen to title Notes from a Big Country, and in two weeks we are going to be doing Notes from a Small Island, where we'll talk to some of the smaller nations. But today we are talking to three people from one of the larger nations, both geopolitically and geographically. Uh, and certainly financially and in terms of uh, cultural influence. And then we're going to talk to them about Blood Bowl, uh, whether they're one of the bigger nations there. I think that's one of the things I want to discuss. So we're going to be talking all about America, as they tend to call it, or the United States of America, as the rest of us tend to refer to it. Uh, I'm pleased to have three lovely, lovely people with me tonight, one of whom you've all met before. Um, hang on, apparently I'm reverbing, so let me see what I can do about that. Okay, we've done the standard replug thing. Usually that solves it. Do let me know in the chat if it's not good. Um, first of all, let me welcome Colin Bazakistein. You all know him. He's been here many times before. Overlord of tournaments on Fumble, uh, and that's a scene that's uh, active at the moment, so I want to talk a tiny bit about that. But also, in case you'd never guessed before, he's American. Um, so that's why he's here. He did about a year ago launch onto Tabletop, which he blames me for, so sorry about that. Um, so I want to talk to him about that and about, obviously, the midnight spins and all of those other problems associated with American Blood Bowl. Uh, joining me also, I'm pleased to say there's two new people to One World, One Blood Bowl. So please say hello to Griffa, the legend from Tabletop in America that is Brian Chu. Hello. Hello. Thanks for having me on. Excellent. We'll come back and talk to you in a minute. Uh, and also um, Steve, known as uh, No Bribe Foul. Uh, a content maker, tabletop player, and blood bowlist from the United States of America. Hello, no bribe foul, and welcome to the show. Um, so, as always, I try to introduce particularly the new people. Um, Brian, let's start with you. You are playing blood bowl in the North American scene for quite a while, I believe. People have described you as a legend to me. Um, well, how does that uh, feel? Do you I accept the say title? I'm a legend in terms of I've been playing for a long time, <laughs> um, but I started in 2010. I'm doing tournaments, so I've been playing uh, for about 20 years, but uh, I happen to have just been to a lot of tournaments, so I've met a lot of great people, and that's kind of how I'm known across the, the states, is I always show up at these different tournaments, and what's this guy doing? <laughs> Let's see if we can beat him. Um, and what, what got you into Blood Bowl in the first place? How did that all start? Well, it's interesting. I, I did not grow up as a gamer. In fact, sports were my thing. Um, I, I moved into a neighborhood when uh, I actually lived in Northern Virginia. We moved to Utah and I had a neighbor who was really into games and I had grown up maybe playing card games, maybe risk a few, but not really strategy games. He introduced me to a few games and, and he said, you know, if, if you're, if you enjoy this, let's start you out with things like Carcassonne and Catan and a few of these games. After about maybe three, four months of that, he said, Brian, I'm going to introduce you to a real game. And he pulls out these miniatures. And we go into his garage, and it is just shelf upon shelf of minis. He's really big in the 40K scene. He's the he's the top orc coach in the world. But uh, he pulls out these Blood Bowl models, and it just enthralled me. You know, I love I love the sports aspect. I love the fantasy aspect. You know, I love the the strategic game uh, aspect. And so uh, it, I just fell in love right away. Well, I mean, those are those are some very different aspects. Let's let's touch briefly on yeah, those. Please. So you've got a 40K nerd with his wardrobe-sized amount of armies that he needs to take to do anything. And the you looked and you thought, guy. not for me. What are those little things over there in the helmets that are orcs? Was it the sports? Was it the... I mean, I always call it... 
It is, as I've said this many times, um, if you know its history, it was invented in a pub on a Sunday afternoon with some drunken tabletop players watching the highlights of American football on TV, not understanding right. the rules at all, and thinking, wouldn't that be funny if we did it with elves and orcs? And I agree, it is funny. So is it the sports aspect? or I mean, it basically is a small-scale tactical war game played in a version of American football that's heavily influenced by people that really understood rugby. Well, so what if that grabs things. you? It, it was two things. It was the sports aspect for sure. But right when, when he was introducing this to me, which was about 2001, 2002, somewhere in there, the Lord of the Rings movies were coming out. And I've always been a Lord of the Rings books fan. I, I love uh, anything token. And so that combination of the fantasy Lord of the Rings aspect with football um, you, you had me at orc. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, uh, we, we did that. It just so happened that he brought me into it at the time he did because he had a league that was needing a 12th person. Uh, he said, well, let's get some fresh meat. So he introduced that to me. And, and I'll tell you what, I was really intimidated because these guys have been playing for, you know, at least 15 plus years. And so I, I was on the forums. I was trying to learn everything I could. I took the rule book and read it back to back a couple times because I didn't want to look like a fool. And so I remember going to my first game and I'm thinking, you know, I'll probably lose a lot, but you know, it'll be fun. Well, he sets his whole team on the line, kicking off to me. And I thought, are you sure this is how you set up? Like, yeah, I'm good. And I, I was playing Necro. And so I just surfed a couple of guys, killed some other guys. And suddenly it was not a game at all. And I thought, well, if he's been playing for 15 years, <laughs> maybe this is just an anomaly, you know, everyone else. No, that, that beautiful that moment where it turns out that the opposition, you know, listens to the Bonehead podcast. We've all been there. <laughs> so it turns out that there are only a, a couple of real competitive players in that league, but I, I learned really quickly. And uh, then later on, uh, my buddy and I who introduced me to it, we decided that while I was working in Chicago, just happened to be there during Chaos Cup, I thought, I'm going to bring my buddy out and let's just try it. Let's just see how we stack up against, you know, actual tournament players. Yeah, yeah. And uh, it was so fun. As soon as we we went to that first tournament, we were hooked. So we we did a few together, but uh, and, and how did the first tournament go? What's that? How did the first tournament go? Well, was so getting hooked played, and success linked. Uh, of course, he took his orcs, um, and and he did okay. I think I think he was white. Uh, he he uh, had one win and like four draws. I played Ryan McKinnon, who was a really great uh, American orc coach in the first round, and I got slaughtered. I, I think it was like three to zero for him, and so I thought, well, that's it. You know, I'm I'm just not as good as all these other players. Then I ended up winning the next four games and and took the MVP. So it was it was really fun. Um, but the competition was not as high as it was as it is now. But I'll tell you what, that first tournament just. It just grabbed me in. I, I have to. This is my thing now. That is <laughs> so definitely just, somewhere I want to go. Um, at least one coach, uh, and he's here tonight. Um, but another one I've talked to from North America is talking about maybe a, a small revolution in some of the online players coming out into the tabletop scene and maybe maybe challenging more than perhaps some of the established guard thought they would. Um, was there a moment for you in that first league season playing someone where you thought this is not just? I mean, traditionally the term is in a beer and skittles game. But actually, there's something here that, that I can play well, that I can find answers other people aren't finding. Well, the the thing that was so interesting to me about the game is it was it was more of a role-playing game than anything. 
And I loved that because I, I think it was my second or third game in that season where I was playing against a Chaos Dwarf coach and all the, all he wanted to do was kill kill my players. Foul every turn, don't go for the ball. So I won like seven to one. I mean, it was just touchdown after touchdown, but I lost a lot of guys. And it hurt me that I had a couple of deaths, <laughs> but it was great that I have all these star player points and I can start to skill up my guys the way I want them. That to me was the sticky moment where, yeah, this is this is it for, this is my game for sure. I mean, to me, that's almost the, the story of the team. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, I almost don't like a story where there's no cost along the way. You know, I need, a, I need a couple of my red shirts to die to know that the ones that have survived have been through it. It's true. The, it's the highs and lows that make the game. And, and I'll tell you this, just, just because my, my start to the game was maybe different than others, but I see a lot of new players where they highly expect to just win everything, like it's a chess match. But the reality is, if you can't enjoy losing and just have fun with the game, even though your players are dying, even though you, you're rolling straight ones, it's just not your game. But if you can right. have fun, no matter what happens, it's, there's nothing better. Yeah. I think that's, I think that's great advice. <clears throat> I mean, my, um, I've always called it the hubris engine, um, uh-huh. which is you know, that, that sin of, of arrogance against the gods. You know, you, you, you make this beautiful turn. It's all plotted out in your head. You only need to roll that two plus and then this will happen and that will happen and you'll definitely get the ball and it will all be yours. And of course, the two plus snakes. Um, <laughs> because you've been arrogant enough to think that it, it was there, that it was in your skill to take when there's always the element of luck required as well in Blood Bowl. You think you're going to succeed? Guess what? Nuffle says otherwise. <laughs> yeah. Do you think of it more as, is it, is it, a lot of people call it risk management, that that's where it exists with poker. Um, and that that's where the crossover is. I often think of it as more like fail mitigation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, it, it is a risk management game, of course. Um, I think that's honestly, just in my experience, where you as Europeans are better at the risk management side of, of the game, whereas a lot of us us in the, in the US, we like it because it's football. And we yeah. want to pass, we want to do crazy things, and the first thing I'm going to do before I stand up my players is do this long pass and... We, we, we got to think differently about that. <laughs> if you really play it the way it's intended to be played as a risk management game, then let's let's start with the right things to do, and then we'll gradually move to the things that have to be done that we have to roll dice for. Remind me to circle back to that, because I, I want to bring, obviously, our third guest in first. Um, but I really want to talk about those differences between how an American player looks at the game compared to the rest of the world. And I think that that's something to really think about, is that American football influence. Uh, welcome to, to No Bribe Foul, or, or to Steve. Um, we've not met before, so hello. Um, what's, what's your Blood Bowl story? Why, why am I talking to you, in your opinion? Okay, so I got suckered into 40K by a very overzealous Games Workshop rep when I was managing a comic shop, like, over a decade ago. And from there, I became vaguely familiar with other Games Workshop properties. And I was going to, it's a book reseller called Half Price Books, and they have random board games and stuff there too. I found an all but complete copy of the third edition box set for $2 on clearance. Oh, wow. So I was like, hey, look, miniatures. Might as well, you know, I recognize Games Workshop. I had heard the name Blood Bowl at least once. I started messing with it, and I was like, this is way more fun than 40K. And I liked, uh, I guess that's kind of where I fell in love with the skirmish games in general. Um, and it just the mechanics and everything. I haven't played a game that's really similar to it before. But then I kind of couldn't be into miniatures like financially for a good while. 
Uh, and I came back into the scene uh, about two years ago at this point, uh, maybe a little bit over. Uh, did a couple leagues, and that was one of the things. I was playing card games at the time. Um, but at the card game tournaments, I noticed they were running the Blood Bowl League at the shop, and I was like, hey, new rules, we'll check it out, you know? And I just kind of hopped back in, and then immediately I just got the tournament bug because I've played a lot of other games competitively, uh, mainly card games, but... Same kind of thing, and the, the tournament scene for Blood Bowl is just, it's so chill in comparison. It's you still, you get to the top tables, you know, it's like that sweaty feeling, but everybody's like chill with each other, so I don't know. It's just kind of bizarre, and I don't know if it's the same for European tournaments, but for a lot of games, uh, especially card games or fighting games, uh, for American tournaments, it's just nonstop trash talk, a lot of it unironic, you know, oh, wow. when you get higher up. I, I genuinely don't think that would be particularly well tolerated. Um, I even no, I, I have a friend, advice. you know, Kayfo, um, who's been on the show a few times. That I need to apologise to endlessly because I was playing him at a recent uh, the NAFC Championships, the, the sort of big one in the UK, um, mm. and I got some incredibly lucky dice against him. And uh, I still needed a snake for him to snake for it to fail and for me to have a chance. And when he did snake, I did audibly celebrate. Mm -hmm. Um, and even that was, so, and I knew I was, I was ashamed of myself, and still am, that that breach of etiquette, you know, celebrating his, his lack of luck, I considered. Well, as he said, he didn't realize there was French blood in me. Um, I just try to try to match my opponent's energy. Like if my opponent wants to be the uh, filthy tryhard stereotype, like I can match that energy. It doesn't mean we have to be jerks to each other. It's just a different yeah, level. If they're I mean, ultra casual then we can be ultra casual, you know, and if we get a roll wrong, then I can be like, hey, we should, you know, it actually works like this versus somebody yeah. else. If they're trying to roll shark, you're like, hey, it works like this. You know, you're just be more assertive. Yeah, it absolutely. doesn't bug me. I've seen way worse. But, no, I mean, I'm, I'm yeah, genuinely I shocked. Like, to... you, know, you shouldn't celebrate someone else's misfortune. It was just a, a, such a, a key moment in the game where I was really pent up. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, I apologized for it almost instantly. There well, is that mix, isn't there, in like that between... Me, that's... You know, the likes of Brian, who clearly is there just to, to dominate others and has come into the, the one game and found his niche instantly. And the mm -hmm. competitive players like yourself that love the tournaments. There's also the hobbyists, isn't there, still out there? You know, the, the people that yep. love to paint and love to role play or will come along looking for the, you know, the biggest fouling awards and things like that. Um, is that as prevalent in the U.S.? I mean, we think of the U.S. as having a very... Uh, and Colin, obviously, I want to bring you in. We haven't spoken. Hello. Hey, how's it going? Good. How are you? All right. Good. That's enough introduction to him. He's been on plenty of times before. Um, do you get as many... Is that variety there in America? We think of America as a very sort of win-at-all-costs, you know, freedom-loving uh, nation. Is it... Do you find there is that still that mix at the tournaments of I people there just to I've... have the, the hobby side and people there because they just want to role-play and have some fun and people trying hard to win? Most of the tournaments I've gone to, uh, there's been at least six different awards, I would say. And I think that's, uh, I don't know if that's more of a West Coast thing or what, but it's what I've seen. And just to mention it, uh, get it out of the way, on my channel, I cover events that I go to. I do it in kind of a vlog style. I'll uh, put the link in the chat there. But I try to, you know, record the experience and really give people the North American Blood Bowl tournament experience. Um, I would love to make it overseas at some point, but I don't know. I just think it's cool to be able to share that perspective because it didn't seem like there was a lot of that out there. Yeah, I mean, I, I, it's how I, I found you and invited you on. I thought this is some really interesting content, and it's about a scene I don't know. So I thought this is also what probably sparked the idea to have this this episode in the first place. Um, America is a huge place, isn't it, guys? 
I mean, you all live sort of quite near each other and yet miles from each other. We discussed this before we went live. I prefer to think everywhere else is just really small. (laughs) (laughs) Says a true Texan. Mm -hmm. I mean, Texas is a state that is 14 times the land mass of England, um, which people don't know is actually, you know, only about half of of Great Britain, most of it's Scotland up north. Um, So that's a huge state all by itself. And if you live another state over, that can be what well, you were talking about living in neighboring states but being a 10 hour drive from each other. Yeah. Yeah. So how is how is a league for Blood Bowl even feasible or possible? Does it does it still happen? It's I the most of the leagues I see are like maybe like 10 to 16 people, at least what I hear about from my friends. I know like in Florida, there is a huge concentration of players. Right. I was going to say, um, is there is there hotbed little scenes and then areas of desolate, definitely. no Blood Bowl? Well, the reality is that most big cities have leagues, so right. more of those dense areas. So yeah, the the league scene is thriving in most areas. Uh, I would I would guess that every single state has multiple leagues. Um, the the problem, of course, is when you don't live in a major city, it, it can be a drive. So for instance, in, in Utah, we have about twenty in our league right now. Um, in one of the leagues, there 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 are a few. But we've had uh, guys that have lived maybe two hours south. <laughs> and so when they, mm-hmm. they'll they try to schedule a match when they just happen to need to come up for work and they'll just stay for the evening. But usually you're going to get people that are within, within at least an hour of each other. And if Mike you can drive an hour for a game, that's totally it. Yeah. Steve? Yeah. yeah, my closest league is 45 minutes at this point. Uh, they were running one at the uh, Warhammer store that's probably about 15 minutes from me. But it was kind of an introductory thing for a lot of beginners. And the the thing I find interesting with leagues is you typically have the it's league night, you know, as many people can show up or you have the hey, everybody try to work out your schedules type thing. And I see pluses and minuses to both. It's honestly trying to coordinate between the two has what's is one of the things that's led me to really loving tournaments. Mm-hmm. Like I love just getting my games in. Everybody's there. You get to the point, you get through it. And it's what it is, you know. Yeah, I mean, I think particularly with those exaggerated distances and times, I'd have thought, you know, schedule your own times but get it done within a week or two would be really quite challenging for some people. Um, but then, you know, I, I've never really done leagues either. I'm almost exclusively online or tournament play. Um, Colin, have you been dipping into the local league or are you just tournamenting? Um, I got I got sucked into the local league. Um, Brad, uh, Brad Atterbury convinced me to join. They had a drop in the middle of their last season, so I joined with Nobles. Um, and it's been fun. Um, my first season went a little too well. Um, but there's you know a couple coaches I played who are quite good. Um, apparently, I'm lucky the Austin area has a couple strong coaches, and the league's gone on a really long time. So I've been enjoying it. Um, I think I have my next league game on Tuesday and then I'm going to a tournament on Saturday. No, yeah, Saturday, so very much living you know, the tabletop life now. Stuff right now. Yeah, very much am. I mean, um, I'm trying to get to as many as I can this year. Um, I've had to cancel one because something came up, but I'm going to I have a a couple I've already committed to, so it should be fun. Uh, let's talk to the so, other guys about oh, Sorry, hello Brian. Yeah, I just want to ask Colin, if you don't mind, I'm just curious, since you, you, it's been, what, you said about a year since you've done tabletop? Like, yeah, how my first, much... uh, my first tournament was um, Mayhem here in Austin a year ago, and that's the one I'm going to on Saturday, so like exactly a year, basically. 
So do you do you find that tabletop is giving you more of a love for Blood Blood Bowl, or is it just completely different? Um, I think it has. Um, I, I mean, I think it to an extent like reignited some of my love for Blood Bowl. Um, a lot of the online stuff, like you know, I've been doing so long, and it's became something I did because I do it. Um, I've noticed I've been playing a lot less online since I started doing the tabletop as well. Mm-hmm. Um, it's definitely different. Um, tournaments are a lot of fun. Um, league, I'm largely enjoying, although some games go on a little longer than I'd like. Um, but it's it's fun and it's different, and being able to meet people and talk to them over it makes everything a little bit more enjoyable, I think. Um, yeah, bringing the social aspect into that, what was always a two-person game, but online it's often... Mm-hmm. And some people are great proponents of you, know, you play it as if you're playing a computer, not as if there's another human on the end of the, you know, the other end it of that electronic board. Definitely helps. Helps in terms of the uh, when something goes horribly wrong. It helps when you're having fun with another human being yeah. when you're online. And not to get completely off track, but one of my spicy takes is I don't think the dice on the computer versions are rigged. I think people just have a, uh, you know, selective memory, and and the I think the bad things hit harder. I mean, right. I, I absolutely am not smart enough to know. Um, but I've been involved in Fumble almost since it began. And some very, very smart people there um, who do seem to understand the maths. And they've looked at the dice and said, there is absolutely nothing wrong with this dice. If anything, they are more random than a dice rolled by hand. Mm-hmm. And as long as, uh, even even if they're not, and if some of the mad conspiracy theories you can read on, you know, any casual Facebook, Reddit page, there are people moaning about Blood Bowl 2's dice, Blood Bowl 3's dice, Fumble's dice... They're all the same moans. As long as you're using the same dice from that computer that I'm using, I I don't really care if they're biased. If it's the same for both of us, then we're playing with the same dice, aren't we? Well, is it just me or does Fumble have a real bias towards big guys? (laughs) Positively, (laughs) negatively, or or are you talking coaches? Negatively. (laughs) Negatively I think big guys guys inherently have a negative bias towards big guys. Right. I mean, I, I'll be honest, bro. I just, I, I'm a uh, similar opinion. I feel that on tabletop, sometimes the numbers and the rolls get fudged because it doesn't matter as much or people roll yeah. the dice in that special way or, or they forget to roll a bonehead when they take an action and the other person forgets to remind them. So I just think sometimes things perform a little better because we're a little less accurate and sometimes the computers don't let you get away with it. Um, that's that's my take on the the differences, but some will go to their graves swearing that all computer games are biased against them. Um, yeah, I had a game and a tournament, the last tournament I went to, where I completely forgot that the weather had changed to a blizzard at the start oh, of the yeah. drive. And then, like, my opponent's turn, he was like, oh, that failed because it's a blizzard. And I'm sitting here like, I really hope none of the rushes like I just did were two. Yeah. Like... Because, I, I mean, I wasn't even thinking about it. It wouldn't have changed what I did, but I'm sitting here and I'm like, and he, he didn't think that I rolled a two. And I'm like, well, I'm hoping that it would be noticed if I did. But I definitely, like, you know, felt bad about that. I'm like, yeah, I should probably realize this. Yeah, but I played an opponent who had a very partial memory. He always remembered the blizzard on my turns. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I wasn't as good at it. I And I don't know. But I don't recall checking if he was rolling three pluses or two pluses on the many, many go-for-its I saw him do. Um, mm. You live and you learn. I mean, as far as I, I was concerned, he was playing the game better. He knew the blizzard and he was checking my rolls. That's that was on me. Steve, 
Yeah, it's an issue I have with stadiums. Like some leagues I've done, they'll add like, you know, different, usually they take one or two death zone aspects at a time, not to make it too crazy. But when you roll some weird stadium and it's like, you're on like, you know, turn 14 and you're like, wait, have we been doing this the whole time or not? Yes, um, uh, we're talking about dice. Um, Krista has reminded me in the chat, I have multiple times accused him of making the entire fumble site specifically biased towards me by about 5% on my dice rolling. And well the, done, Krista. The entire 20 years has been a huge plot just to reduce my success at Blood Bowl. Uh, and he has never denied it. Uh, he has just reminded me of that fact, which would slightly worry me if I didn't know that it it, it can't be true, can it? I mean, it just doesn't seem that likely. I don't know if I put it past him. Um, now, I want to talk a little bit about online, because really I want to talk, because I mean, most of you here are doing the tabletop thing, but I want to talk about online. Um, Americans get it tough with online gaming in general, don't they? Um, I mean, firstly, mostly they have to play other Americans, and that must be arduous. But, I mean, things like um, poker, obviously, that was sort of banned in America, wasn't it? You're not allowed to play poker for money, as I understand it. Uh, it's, uh, it varies by state and by region, like wildly. And then Blood Bowl, a lot of places you can't. it is known as the dead zone on Fumble to sort of spin and try and find matches in those North American friendly hours. Um, have you found that? Do you do a lot of online play? Is it, is it so tough? So I want to get into Fumble. I really want to. I just keep putting it off because I'm horrified. Because anytime I see someone wearing any sort of Fumble paraphernalia at an in-person tournament, I know I'm about to get spanked if I get matched up with them. That's <laughs> been my experience so far. I need to do it. I'll get there. But as far as, I mean, I just kind of play Blood Bowl 2 and 3, mainly just 3 now. And I I don't know. On, on that front, I mean, it's everybody mixed together. So I haven't really had trouble. But yeah, I know there is a big fumble scene specifically. Like there's some guys that go out to the different events as a crew. Yeah, and a lot of them play yeah, leagues yeah. together because they can you know, they make are. sure games happen. And obviously, Colin, you're responsible for all of this, aren't you? Uh. I mean, if by responsible, you mean like drug along with it. Um, some of the guys, I know it was actually Gark Angle, who's from Argentina, who just posted, who was a big part of getting uh, someone else named Charlie to make the shirts that we wore to Chaos Cup and um, LVO. Um, and I mean, yeah, so like as far as Fumble and the North American Times, the league seems pretty vibrant for the reason you're saying, because it's, it's harder to get games like when you want, because everyone in Europe is very rudely asleep at that time and so isn't playing um and does that get harder but, the further west you drift as you're further out um, of those sort of european stay up lates and obviously the pacific yeah, doesn't much. have a lot of blood bowlers in it yeah i mean it's just you know that that's pretty much how it goes the more people sleep and then the east coast starts to go to sleep which is a problem in some of the league based is you got to find like a time y'all can both do um but we have a couple pretty um big and long running in some case leagues on fumble that if uh, anyone in the u.s is interested in getting involved in the league just you know let me know um we have one following the blood bowl 2020 rules like exactly that's going to be starting a new season pretty soon um as an example but and, yeah, and also I mean, besides there's some people on fumble that have taken the american football aspect of blood bowl and they've they've sort of maxed it out as well haven't they yeah, I mean, that's, I mean, I, we have a league based on the NFL that's all over like 2000 TV and we have a draft and all that. And I used to run it for a little while. Um, Y'all both probably know Jeffro. He ran it when I joined 
and now um, Jason Campbell Dashergo is now running it. So um, a lot of us fumble guys who have gotten involved in the tabletop scene are connected to it. A lot of the guys who went to Chaos Cup and started getting involved in tabletop over the last year are all from that league specifically. Um, and we're kind of uh, using an excuse to go somewhere and meet all of each other as also a reason to start. Um, just for those of you with your bingo tabletop. cards, that was our first yawl. Um, so feel free to chuck that one. Uh, if we get a duel, we put a do you all into a sentence for a jaw. That's that's the real gold. But we, that was our first official y'all of the day. Um, loved it. My record for y'all was at one point I said y'all event, and I was like, "Yes, I have a, I have a North Carolina um, sister-in-law who can put entire sentences into one strange noise." <laughs> hey, Jana, go down. Do you want to? All into one. Jana? Brilliant. Love it. Um, so America, big country, separated by huge distances. So the tournament scene is vibrant, is it? Um, because there you can you know, guarantee games, get to a place, get it done. Is that, is that what attracted well, you to the scene, Brian? It, it is now. So when I first started, uh, like I said, 2010, it was hard to find tournaments for sure. Right. Um, there, were a few, there were a few tournaments that had been around for a while. Um, some of the big ones, Underworld Cup has been around for a while. Um, West Coast Quake had started uh, like a year before um, I, I started in, but there just weren't that many. Um, there was Lurpy Bowl, which uh, doesn't exist anymore, but that was a big one. But it was hard to find tournaments. So if you wanted to go at all, you had to fly probably somewhere across country. Um, probably about maybe six, seven years ago, that's where you started to see a lot of local areas uh, really hitting on the, the tournament scene. So that's where, you know, Texas started really uh, be active, um, the Northeast, Florida, especially, you know, over the over the last few years. Jim Loft, a shout out to him. Um, he moved down from Pennsylvania and he just built up that Florida area. And they have, you know, they have over 100 coaches that are active in leagues or active in, in tournaments. And they don't do a lot of leagues because there's a tournament every couple of weeks. <laughs> so it's it's really thriving. Um, but then and we've is seen that how Sol, if you know my friend Sol, is that yes, how he's got to be apparently the king of Blood Bowl 7s, which is, you know, talk about an award that no one else wants. Well, I, I hadn't heard that. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't know what Oh, you should talk to him. He, he will definitely tell you at length. I, I know Sean Kelly and Mark Perry have some good sevens record, but sevens is my least favorite variant, but it's still Blood Bowl, so it's, it's still fun to play. But I will tell you that nowadays, over the last several years, you can find a tournament almost any weekend if you're willing to travel a little bit. And so, you know, it's a matter of what's your style, what kind of what, what kind of theme do you like, um, what kind of build, and, uh, you know, who, who do you want to be involved in? I mean, I, I am I've willing to travel a little bit. Famously, I will go anywhere up to half an hour and maybe even two buses to get to a tournament. Am I going to get to tournaments in the U.S.? No. Right. You, you might. So let's, let's talk about travel a little bit. What, what does that mean? Well, you're probably going to have to catch a plane no matter where you go. <laughs> it it, yeah, it I mean, really... Okay, so plane tickets, like, I'm, I, one of the things I specialize in is cheap travel within the U.S., and a lot of times getting, like, uh, an Amtrak, which is the, tr the like, ancient train system we have, or uh, a Greyhound bus, which is kind of the long-distance bus system, like, you're going to travel twice as long, and it's barely going to be cheaper, if at all, than just to fly. 
Um, mm -hmm. Unfortunately, depending on how big your airport is, like DFW Airport, you're going to have flights in and out everywhere all the time. You know, Vegas, you have flights in and out all the time. Reno Airport is marketed as an international one, but even to get to Florida, it's I looked it up the other day because I'm looking at going to Chaos Cup and like the default prices ended up being like 400 bucks like for, you know, there and back. And so it's cheaper for me to fly to Vegas because it's like a twenty nine dollar budget flight. And then it's like a hundred bucks to fly to Florida from Vegas. So it's cheaper for me to schedule multiple one way flights than it is for me to just fly out. Mm. And then I usually take public transit instead of Ubers when I get somewhere, just because if I have the option, I can spend the extra 30 minutes or something. But and those Uber drivers famously living at large on the huge money they charge. <laughs> uh, most of the ones I, I get don't complain about it too hard maybe it's just to be nice but i i i'm kind of a chit chatter so i don't Cause, know because if you don't rate them five they don't eat that day that's, that's <laughs> yeah. very much like a chinese honor system it's terrifying for them um yeah. i do remember when my partner first moved no. over and living in my first flat we lived next to some train tracks and sometimes she would genuinely point out the window and go oh look a people train like that was a thing to be pointed at I mean, we had this, three trains an hour go past. All of them had people on. That's what trains do. They move people around. But seemingly yeah. not so much in America. I mean, you guys were big on railways. You built those big ones. There was all the films about them. But now you go everywhere via planes. They're, they're reasonably affordable, though, right? I mean, that's a, that's a doable thing. Varies. But, yeah, the budget airlines have a really bad reputation for some reason. But there's, like, Spirit, which I think was rated the number three safest airline in the U.S. for, like, several years in a row. Okay. And that one, again, I can get places pretty cheap on that. It's just a matter of most airlines, uh, you're getting your personal item, which is like a duffel bag. And so if you don't want to buy the extra baggage, extra baggage ends up being like 60 bucks or something like that. It just kind of builds up. So I have to make micro display boards. So I have some teams, if I'm only, if I'm traveling long distance and I don't want to pay for an extra bag, I have to make a small display board for it. So I specifically like hobby around what I'm using the team for. It's kind of weird, but... But you're traveling you for also... presumably two yeah. nights and two days in a tournament in just one small bag. Not helping the tournament smell, are you? Uh, <laughs> no, I'm very clean, but I stay at hostels. So when you stay at hostels, you get the public shower, like you're good to go. Okay. Yeah. Um, I found that almost every month there's a tournament I can drive to. And well, if I'm willing to... I mean, it's a couple hours there and then maybe a couple hours back. But if I want to, I can sleep in my own bed. So like I'm in a good area for it but there's quite a few really major cities within a couple hour drive of me. So that makes it a little bit easier. Mm -hmm. and, and how do you, how do you find these tournaments? Where's, where are they? I mean, I know tour plays a thing, uh, but also the NAF site, uh, talk fantasy football, I mean, Facebook groups, word of mouth, carrier pigeon. I go I through the NAF site. Okay. The NAF site, Brian. Yeah. Yeah, de definitely. The NAF site is, is the place to go. We're not quite on a, talk fantasy football like we used to be but um the nap side is is the word and way to go and the nice thing about most tournaments you go to is there's always announcements for other tournaments for players that have come in mm -hmm. so oh that sounds like a great one i'm going to put that you know as something to follow up on so yeah it's it's nice to be able to go where especially destination tournaments mm -hmm. you know a lot of the tournaments in the u.s are more local um you're not going to get a lot of of uh uh, out of towners, but there are some destination ones where you know people are going to come from all over, and and when you hear about tournaments there, it certainly sparks interest. I was going to say, so I mean, we we have the similar here. We have obviously some big ones, and then obviously there's most leagues will have their little yearly bash. 
right. they will advertise, but they might have 40 places, and obviously they've probably got 35 people or 30 people that want to come anyway. Um, what, what are the big ones like in the States? I mean, I don't know the scene at all. Introduce me to it. What's, what's your big one over there? Well, definitely the Chaos Cup is our big one. It's the U.S. major. Okay. Um, this, it, it, and it's all relative. Compared to the U.K. and Spain and some of those areas, you know, it, it's going to be somewhat small compared to uh, those. But this last year, I think we we, uh, we had over 160 coaches. Okay. So that was the highest that we've had. Um, in the past, it's, it's always been, you know, between about 50 and 100 um, around that area. But it's it's definitely the big one. But some of our other big ones here, and, and you guys can chime in with, with others that you've seen, but I would say um, you've got the Underworld Cup, which uh, Solomon nicely runs. That's that's a really uh, a good and, and big one, long-lasting. It's been going on for over 20 years now. That's up in Michigan. Um, you've also got, um, like on the West Coast, the West Coast Quake is, is uh, always a good one. You've got kind of up in uh, the Canadian scene, Spike has been a, a big one. That's right on the on Van- Vancouver area. And then, of course, um, in Florida, they're starting to run a bunch. Um, but their uh, Oklahoma Bowl, Oklahoma Bowl has been a big one that uh, a lot of coaches come in for. That's right there in Oklahoma City. But those have kind of been the big ones that I find if I'm going to fly somewhere, I want it to be one of those where I'm going to see a lot of friends. There's going to be some good competition, but just a lot of, of, of fun to be had. Um, but I'll, I'll tell you this, I used to go to lots of tournaments mainly because um, I I was working and, and basically on, um, on the road all the time. So I would be at a client site and then I would just choose to go to a tournament instead of come home on certain weekends. That that always made it nice because I didn't play, pay for my travel. So I was able to go to a lot of tournaments. And it became very obvious to me that, you know, if I'm going to a tournament with 10 people, not not the best experience. It's it's fun, you know, and it's, it's nice to get to know those guys, but it's not worth the travel to to really have a, a ten person event. I, I once uh, drove to an event for eight hours because I had nothing to do over the weekend in in Omaha. I drove to St. Louis, and there were four of us. Nice. I think oh, sixteen not hours for a person tournament. So I always look for you know is this going to be a bigger event? Usually a two day event. Um, if they have like a Friday night event, that's even more fun. So I'm basically exclusively going to those types of uh, events nowadays. Yeah, I was going to talk but about that. With, with the, do you think there is a, a greater prevalence of sevens tournaments in the U.S. scene than anywhere else on earth? Do you think that's yeah. partly because of the distance traveled and that need to make it seem worthwhile? So, you know, come on, not only do you get your two days blood bowl, but there'll be one on the Friday night if you've got there in time just to cram all of that in and get people feeling they've got value. It's it's a draw for sure. You know, if, if you're running a, a one day event, but then maybe you have a sevens Friday event. Oh, okay. Now maybe it's worth it to come out because it's more than just one day and then then I'm done. So that that can be a draw. But I'll tell you what. I think for the most part, Americans have a short attention span. Mm-hmm. <laughs> just kind of generalizing. So the fast games be done in forty minutes or so. Like that is a, a real draw for many. Yes, there's a, a sport that probably none of you have heard of or understand called cricket, where a, a very fast version of it, T20, um, which has cut it down from a five-day game to a three-hour game, has, right. has taken over the Indian subcontinent uh, and has really driven where the entire of cricket is going and all the money is going. Um, so careful what we wish for, or we could all end up playing sevens and Sol could be crowned our, our champion forevermore. Because <laughs> he, he's always going to play rats, which means he's always going to win sevens. That's just that's how that's yeah. done. If you too want to win sevens, play Skaven. Um, not that that's, that is entirely how he did it. Uh, and to the point where I'm hoping to get him on as a, a Skaven expert. Now, I did want to circle back to the, the influence of, of gridiron or, or American football, as you 
uh, wrongly call it, um, that one where you throw it with the hand all the time, yeah, and aren't allowed to kick it, no. that, that version of football, you know, with the steroid-abusing chess pieces, and then the smart white guy that throws it to the nippy blackfellas. Um, right. How much influence does that have on how Americans play Blood Bowl, do you think, and, and on getting them into Blood Bowl? Or is it a hurdle uh, that needs to be overcome as they start Blood Bowl? I mean, it's such a part of your guy's psyche. Uh, basically, like, you'll see some people who are obviously sports fans that that come out to events that I think might not be into the game unless that was the thing. Um, I, I can say it at least draws in some people that otherwise wouldn't even touch a miniatures game. Yeah, I mean, it being built off of a sport is one of the reasons I got into it to begin with um, online. So, you know. So it's definitely it part of that hook, getting in. people in. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it hit, like, multiple interests of me at once, and one of them was, like, you know, I mean, I played football growing up, I played rugby some in college, so something that was clearly, like, roughly built off of those was appealing. So if you're a sports fan, especially a football fan, and you like games, it's just a perfect match, but I see very few only sports fans that are willing to give in, get into a real strategic game without any prior experience. But if you're both, or at least you have a you know some inkling towards gaming, then it's a great fit. So if someone plays Madden, you're thinking I could get them into Blood Bowl. Yeah, why not? <laughs> I mean, maybe, maybe it's the gateway drug. Do you think it's then a barrier though? I mean, I've I've sort of dealt with and tried to help. One of the things I do on Fumble is I run the well, I run at the moment. I sort of oversee other much more involved people that are running the one four five for me, which is the part of Fumble where we we help and train newer players, give them some advice, get them going. If they're not very good at the game, we might try and help with that. If they're trying to have fun, help with that. Whatever they need. Um, one of the things I've noticed with North American coaches is they will, they'll put someone somewhere and go, yeah, I'm going to put him there so he's my safety. And I'm like, so what does that mean? And then he explains <laughs> to me it's, it's a turn from American football. And in a way that he's confused that I, as a Blood Bowl player, wouldn't know what that is. And I'm like, but that's okay. I, I know what I would put him there for, and I kind of get what you're explaining. Is that sort of level of understanding of American football tactics, is it helpful in Blood Bowl or is it a limit? Would you encourage people to lean into it or to go beyond it? I, mean, I think I anything you do that makes you see a game as something other than the raw numbers, if your only goal is to do well, I think anything can possibly get in the way in certain scenarios uh, certain ways of viewing certain games might you know the downsides might just not really come up uh other times uh especially like using shortcut keywords maybe using even old terminology from old editions things like that might just make you think about it differently and make you miss options and in the same way that getting upset at bad dice rolls makes you, you know, limits your visibility it clouds yeah. your judgment and you can't see all of your lines but if you think I'll leave this guy as a safety, but if you ran the math in your head and you realized all their high movement players are stunned right now and they literally can't get back to you, all you're doing is wasting some tackle zones, you know? So that's my two cents on it. So even if it looks pretty, it, it, it should be about the needs of the game rather than some idea in your head. Even if Whatever that idea is. is helping you enjoy it. Yeah, I mean, um, if you're playing Blood Bowl and you're like, there's this thing I need to do and I can see how it's similar to something from over here. So I'm going to like use that as inspiration. That's one thing. If you're instead trying to like shoehorn things into how you're playing, then obviously that's not going to work. Brian, how do you feel that sits that this influence of your, your national pastime, your, your great sport, the great invention of American football 
with a game that you know, isn't American football but says it is. It, it's so interesting because it's really not. It is not anything like like American football. But a lot of new players are drawn by that, like we just mentioned. So they they want to play like that, or they expect that that's how you play it. And yeah. so it takes a while, and it takes some experience to realize that that's the way you would play American football is not the way you need to think about a blood bowl game. You know, you have to do as we mentioned the risk management piece first, and stand up your stand up your players, and do the things that have to be done before you do that crazy thing. But you get a lot of new players well, where it's all about this crazy thing. And if it works, it's going to be great. But it doesn't work most of the time. And so they're disappointed. And if that causes frustration to the point where, oh, I just don't like this game, then that's where I think experienced coaches need to just provide a little guidance. And I think that's good that most are willing to. I, I think any, anyone here, but most experienced coaches will maybe ask questions. Are you sure you want to do that first? <laughs> right? Or, you know, may, maybe think about this other thing that, that might be important. And, and especially with new coaches, just to help them along, that's where they can start to get that understanding that it's, it's more of a, the gaming side of things rather than the American football side. And then it'll actually be more fun for them as well. So it's fine that it can bring them in, but then we've got to take the hood off and say, actually, that was a bit of a, yeah. you know, bit of flirty fishing. It's not really anything like American football. Give it up and now yeah. play a strategic war game that's kind of like poker, crossed slightly with Magic the Gathering. A little bit of fantasy football and a tiny bit of Tolkien. It, it is a very think, rum mix. I think so, it's hard for uh, newer players to see, well, like if they're if they're getting gradually better. I think with Blood Bowl, it might be a little bit harder to see that gradually getting better. Because, I mean, you can make a mistake that comes back five turns later and you didn't realize that was the mistake that, you know, already sealed what was going to happen. But, yeah, yeah in the same way, it, it's one of those games you really just have to have somebody with the high attention span like we were talking about. Because I've tried converting people from, like, card games. But realistically, you can run a full set of five card games in the time it takes to run one Blood Bowl game, sometimes even more. And tr comparing those mindsets, like... It, it's just its own thing. But I think anything that draws them in, like you were saying, like the draw to the sport itself or the draw to the miniatures, that's usually what I try to play up when I'm trying to introduce somebody to it. Colin, I want to bring you in on that, uh, about the, the attention span thing again. Um, you've talked a little bit about you know yourself being not a man that's in, incredibly patient in life and struggling sometimes for that focus. How has that moved from, you know, an hour? And I mean, you were a lover of going down to two-minute turns. I know you've played in the Blitz pit where it's one-minute turns. How are you suddenly going to two and a half hours for a game? Um, two and a half hours is largely fine. Um, there's enough for me to pay attention to while the game's going on that it, you know, doesn't feel like too much. And um, now I had one playoff game this season that went five hours. That 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 was too much. I was, wow. I was like... I, by the end of that, I was like, man, I just want this to be done. But the new overtime rules, I can't just like force it and be like, either I win or lose. We have to play it all out regardless. Um, but yeah, that, that was a bit overkill. But overall... No I meal mean, break I, in the middle, no. No, no. We, we, we the place closed around us as we were finishing the game. So, yeah. um, but I mean, that will happen. Um, but yeah, that I mean, the, the tournament ones don't feel too bad. Um, like two hours and 15 minutes, whatever feels relatively like natural for everything that's going on, I think. Um, and another thread I just wanted to pick up on from Steve, brought with you, Brian. Steve's talking about, you know, his lines, his equity. He's using some of the sort of very competitive language of Blood Bowl. Um, 
It is a very silly game that we take incredibly seriously at the very competitive ends of tournaments. Um, yes, in every tournament, hopefully, you'll find some people there trying to you know, play one of every race over five years or you know, showing off their newly painted minis, and, and they are extraordinary. But up towards the top end, towards the end of the tournament, you're going to find four or five people sweating hard and trying everything they can to dominate that board and win that competition. Where did you cross over from having fun and role-playing into that sort of mindset? Do you accept that you have? <laughs> um, well, yes, I have accepted the, the, that I have. But here's, here's the reality. I think at any tournament, you have about a third of the players there that are really trying to win. And, and then another third who would like to win, but just realize it's not going to happen. So they're there to, to more have fun. And, and that's where you're going to see more of the good times happening at the table, more just fun and games. It's, it, and it's really fun to be in those tables. And then you have another third that are either um, trying to do something completely different. You know, I'm going for most casually, so I'm going to lose a lot. Or I'm new to the game, you know, new players. And so it's not necessarily where they fit in terms of the, uh, of the pairings. It's more about those are the people that are really just learning or trying to do something unique. And so, yes, it's about a third of the coaches that are typically going up to the, to the top tables. Anything can happen. But the reality is that when you start playing quite a bit, you find your niche. You find where you fit. And I don't think you're necessarily trying to... to uh, to fit somewhere where you don't belong. <laughs> but if you start winning a lot of games, you're going to be at the top tables regardless. So you either play less competitive teams if you don't want to be there, um, or you really try to, to master while you're there. And and I, I think that's I, I think that makes it fun for all players because I can be new to a tournament, first tournament ever, but I'm going to play players that are going to be similar to my level of experience or at least my level of play. And I think that's why Blood Bowl is so perfect and the Swiss pairing is is a great way to, to run a tournament. Yeah, now, the, the first round or two, we... I mean, there will be aberrations, of course. I went to a tournament where probably the two best guys in the room drew each other in the first round, to the oohs and ahs right. of the rest of the crowd. That is going to yes. happen. Um, they then it's drew, thus throwing the field wide open for everyone else in a, in a four-game yeah. tournament, three-game tournament. Um, now, the but, other but fairly quickly, those first rounds sort you out into where you should be, don't they? Or is that... Am I being toxically elite? Well, here, here's the reality as well. And this is this is honestly one of the things I love about about Blood Bowl. It is not chess. It is not just about your skill. Any player, any coach can lose at any given time, even to a less experienced coach, because the dice are just rolling that way. And we've all experienced that. But given enough games, you're going to see some things average out. But at a, a typical tournament, gosh, you might have someone who's you know who's really competitive there to win. And they just have a couple of really bad games, and they're not up in the top tables. It happens, right? And I've I always think said, that, if, if at those moments you can't laugh at yourself, then probably Blood Bowl is not your game. It's exactly right. And if you can just laugh and have fun with that, and 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 appreciate that anyone can can do well or poorly, like it's going to be a great time. Steve, do you agree? Is yeah. this is this is it the humor of yeah. the self that keeps you going at Blood Bowl? Um, I just like the game, man. Honestly, I, I like the mechanics. They're fun. I that's I won't get super into it, but I was just playing the uh, Dragon Ball Super card game competitively for several years, and then the mechanics and the formats got to the point where the mechanics that I enjoyed stopped being as relevant, and I really just disengaged. And I was like, hey, I can totally afford to play Blood Bowl again. Why would I not just do this instead? And like, I I'm. Yeah, I'm, I'm very much on that level, but I okay, do I mean, think... I think that's something... somewhere I wanted to go, so let, let's go there. So you've talked about coming from different gaming systems and finding your mm -hmm. home in Blood Bowl. 
Is that right. fair? Do you think you're here for good now? Is this the is this the one? Totally. I, I honestly believe it. The game has supported itself for so long. It's, it's uh, again, coming from card games and fighting games were the main things I played before. And Blood Bowl predates all of those things as genres. So it's it's cool it's cool it's gonna stick around uh, it's it's a good amount of hobbying i don't it, it think it predates the existence of computer games almost it was 1986 the first one was launched um now we did yeah. i actually had one of those woody atari things and then a, a zx spectrum yeah. and you know so not quite but it's it is an incredibly old system um there's a reason it's still here with us isn't there now, I don't know about you, but I've been playing off and on since then. Um, I probably only seriously played from 2001 onwards. I, I missed a whole chunk. I didn't really play the famous third edition um, with the Astro Granite pitch. My one, my original set is older than that. We've recently had a rules update, the, the 2020 rules. Brian, I know you were playing before that um, and have managed to, to coast through it. Your, your NAF rankings are still super high. I believe one of the highest rated, if not the highest rated American player with a couple of races. Um, Steve, how, how involved you talked about finding that old set? How involved were you in 2016 rules? Did you play a lot of that? Uh, no, I didn't play 2016. I pretty much hopped back in at 2020. It was like mid 2021 when I really like. Okay, and you, and you love in. the dynamics of this new rule set. You're you're all about it. I I love the nerfed kickoff table. That's like my number one thing. I point to. I know a lot of people are wishy washy on the multiple re rolls a turn. I think it's cool. I think it's cool to have those super swingy turns. Um, or I think it's cool to see people spend four rerolls in one big play, and then the last one fails, and then it's like, it's just part of the game now. But um, I also like the passing stat. I mean, I say that as, as typically a bash coach, so yet again, spicy take. But um, no, I, I'm loving 2020, man. Like, I, I, it feels like an improvement overall to me. Okay, and we've heard your favorite things. Anything you think went backwards? Anything you're not so crazy about? I don't like... I mean, in terms of some of the team changes, so I love orcs. My thing is with animosity, I don't hate animosity. It's fine as a rule. My thing I don't like is certain players have animosity towards certain other players. The one has it towards all teammates. This one has it towards this. If you're going to add it, just add it. You know what I mean? And I feel like some things like with passing also, you know, there's, uh, oh, if you roll a one or if you if it gets adjusted to a one or, you know what I mean? Like, I think you could just probably take some of those and just roll them into the same thing because some mm -hmm. things have 14 steps and some things have two steps. Maybe just bring it closer together. That's all I could say, really. I mean, I was fairly similar about skill use on blitzes. I, I like the blitz nerfing to only a limited number of players, but either let me use all the skills or let me use none of them. But ones mm -hmm. that say during your turn I can't use and ones that don't I can just feels just complex. Right. And I don't want complex, really. Um, Brian, what do, what do you think of the new rules we've moved to? You seem to have been fine with the sort of the win rates and things, but do you like them? Well, re regardless of that, I I just think they they didn't make too many changes to, to make the game unrecognizable. And, and that's, that's what I love. Just make slight changes, tweaks, enhancements, make it your own. Um, so I, I love the 2020 rules. I, I think they're great. There are certain things that I don't like, but there are other things that I like better. So no, okay. no problem. But give me, I do give me your have, worst uh, bit of the 2020s. Well, uh, maybe maybe I'll speak more collectively because I have friends who are very competitive players who aren't playing anymore because they nerfed elves the way they did. You know, the passing stat part of that. You know, which elves and ward answers passing on a five. Like you can't just leap in and, and grab the ball. So you don't see many elves anymore as many elves as we used to 
I'm okay with that. You know, it's it makes it more of a challenge. But if you're here, here's what I always tell these these types of of coaches: if you've only mastered one race, and that's your go-to, and you're just in it to competitively win with them, then you probably need to open your horizons to other styles of play to really have fun. And and you're going to be a better coach if you can actually master other types of teams: the bash style, the the elf style, the the unique style like the a slon style. or anything else. Exactly. That's what's going to make you more of a complete coach. And here's here's the thing that I thought was the best thing that the NAF did when um, the 24 actually became an officially sponsored thing. I don't think I would have ever done that. But because I did, I got to play every race and I realized that there were races I would have never played that I loved. And to, to this day, I, I go back to those. And is that and in other- tournament format, not just in leagues? You've taken, a, taken every oh, yeah. Blood Bowl race and Ogres to a tournament? Yeah, in, in fact, um, I've played all all thirty um, that that are around, and uh, my challenge for myself was to try to get each of my races up as high as I could in terms of rankings, just because that was an internal challenge be- behind the scenes that kind of kept me going with races that I normally wouldn't want to play, and I had a lot of fun with that. So now I'm at 170 uh, or higher with all the races, and it's it's been super fun, and I'll go back to races that I just haven't played for a while, and let's just try it out. Let's do it. Which was the, the hardest the, race to get over 170 with then? Oh, halflings for sure. <laughs> and, and and that was before all the star players. So, okay. but I would say that the the biggest maybe um, problem I have with the 2020 is the the meta stars. And I know there's. Tons I'll, I'll of come back stuff. to that, but I'm just going to ask one more follow up, and then I want to talk to Colin. We haven't heard from him for yeah, ages. For sure. um, which was the most f- surprising fun race that you took up because of that challenge and actually had fun with? Yeah, uh, probably Chaos Renegades. I didn't think I would enjoy them. I ended up loving playing that that race. In fact, I play them. I played them la- uh, last weekend. In fact, <laughs> I keep going back to it just because it's fun. And, and you know, what, they don't. They're not super powered. They don't do all that well all the time. But they are just a, a really good time. So, so many things that could happen. Now, I do want to talk race in America. So that is definitely where we're going next, um, which obviously won't be contentious at all. Um, but first, that we haven't heard from Colin for a while. Uh, similar but related question, I suppose, mate, Baza. Um, you've moved, obviously, deep knowledge of the 2020 rules from Fumble and even from Blood Bowl 3. <laughs> oh, let's, let's not. Let's just move on. Um, but you've taken that into the NAF setting, into the, uh, into the tabletop world. How has that been and how has that changed what you've thought about this new rule set? Um, most of my problems with the new rule set have to do with progression. So tabletop tournaments are nice because they don't exist there. Um, would be like the biggest thing. Okay, so what um, what what really do you think is the problem online that we're not um, we're not seeing? Well, okay. I'm not saying um, that. I, I just want to say thanks very much, Griffith, for coming on. Uh, we were warned we would lose him at one point, and unfortunately, that time is now. So uh, uh, I do apologise for the fact that he couldn't say goodbye, but he has had an urgent meeting he's had to drop for. Um, so thank him very much for his time. It was lovely to have him on. The three of us will continue until we finish fairly soon. Sorry, Colin. Yeah, um, I, I just don't like the way uh, skill rolls are done now. I don't like saving up our player points to get certain things. I find it a lot less interesting, and I don't like um, the effect it has overall. Um, I also didn't like the way they were doing inducements at first, but they kind of semi-fixed that, so that's yeah. less of an issue. Um, and then just star players being as good as some of them are, making it so that progressing a lot of teams isn't even a good thing like you don't necessarily want 
skills. So you just don't even use some of your star player points because there's nothing worth taking on this player or whatever. Um, yeah, kind of, when I start kind of a team in a league, when I start a team in a league, I, I have a team value I am trying to achieve. And once I hit that, everything over it feels bloat to me. And it's even sometimes min-maxing down to 20 GP difference to where somebody won't be able to take a certain star or something. Right, and I was going to say, like is, that, is that, that TV target because I think it's going to keep me safe from things, or that's where I feel the team is mm -hmm. affected? Uh, it's, it's a balance, and it also depends on, I mean, in your league, if you have eight players and six of them are stunny players, you're going to build differently than if you have a big you know, range. What's what races are hot on the American tabletop scene right now? That's the aspect of race in America I wanted to talk about. Uh, so from just the videos, I mean, do Black that I have Lives on Matter or is Skaven on the rise? I mean, I love me some green skins, but I I I want to like black orcs. I really want to, but and I've like seen everyone some else, people who are like the figures, who are skilled shit. coaches that can do stuff with them. Yeah, but I feel like it's more them being, uh. You know them being skilled coaches, I guess. But uh, you know, like Brian talking about renegades, you have no core skills starting. You know, you're not have you don't have block, you don't have dodge, you don't you know whatever. And then you have the, your pieces that really really do stuff uh, have the downsides. But having played against Brian, like it, God, I think we got to turn six. Uh, he was playing dark elves, I was playing orcs, and. I read the board and I realized no matter what dice I rolled, I couldn't win that game. Like I was just like out and my brain just kind of shut off for a second. I was like, is this actually it? Like I read every line and I was like, wow, I just let this happen, you know? But I, I think, I don't know. Anyway, I'm getting off topic, but race wise, like for just from my videos that I've done, they've kind of been all over the place in terms of the tops. And I feel like the events are so few and far between in comparison to some other places well, that it... a lot of it's going to be what people just, what they hobbied, you know? Exactly. Clever person. You're going where I wanted to go next. Um, so let me come back to that in a second. Colin, what do you think? Uh, that question I want to ask, what, what races mm -hmm. seem to be top of the American meta right now? I'm seeing just blood. I mean, it feels like people play a lot more, Bash than agility overall. Um, there definitely seems to be a preference in that direction. Mm. Um, I certainly like Brian I played... was lamenting the loss of elf coaches, wasn't he? Right. Yeah. And I mean, I feel like I played a lot of Chaos Dwarves, um, Dwarves Undead. Um, some of them I think I've seen more, obviously, like, you know, the, the amount of games you're playing. I've seen a lot of Snotlings specifically, mm -hmm. which those games take a while. Clearly, but as someone you know, Bad Dog has said in the chat, it is going to be influenced by tournament format. I mean, we yeah. all of us look at the tournament and think, how do I break this to my advantage in the best way I can? Um, because that's how people play Blood Bowl. But, I mean, I guess what I'm trying to find out is, you know, if you know your, your geography, my daughter's doing her geography A-levels at the moment. Um, she, like me, is a huge fan of the Oxbow Lake. Big lover of an Oxbow Lake. Which is where a river has been meandering towards the sea. And one of the meandering bits, the river finds a shorter cut path. And then the old loop turns into an old stagnant little lake of water called an oxbow lake. Lovely concept. And you get lovely big aerial photos showing exactly how it happened. Do you think North America, particularly with its pockets and its distance, is it lively to the modern meta? Or is it susceptible to that oxbow lake sort of stagnant little bit of water where this is what we do because this is what we do. And even if the rules change, we, we still do this. I, um, I mean, like obviously, I... I'm pretty new to the tabletop side, so 
Well, that's why I wanted to ask Steve and then come to you with the boast you made and then shame you for it. Yeah, like, uh, again, I see Are people experimenting, I guess is what I'm saying. Are they innovating yeah, like and experimenting? Last tournament, last tournament I went to, it was one that Brian hosted, and uh, I was playing Tomb Kings, and the number eight uh, on the kickoff result table we were using for that was the equivalent of pouring rain. But there were three Tomb Kings players there. Like, I expected I was going to be the yeah. only one. I just did it because I hobbied them, and I was like, I want to play these guys. But, uh, yeah, like, it, it's just been such a cool spread. I've been trying to get the tournament stats for my videos, too, of just what all the race breakdown is. And I've never, I haven't really been able to get concrete ones from each time, so I haven't been including it. But from the ones that I've gotten it, it's all over the place, regardless of the format. And some of the teams are clearly suboptimal, but you sh yeah. you still see them being played. I mean, hang out in my Discord. There's lots of very good stat nerds there that I'm sure can find exactly the data you're after. Um, I'll, mm -hmm. I'll introduce you to Mike Davis, uh, Mr. Stats, and I'm sure he can find you some lovely data there. I've um, seen his posts. Colin did uh, bra brag to me uh, a couple of weeks ago that uh, a lot of the Fumble names and other online players, I'm sure there's ones from Blood Bowl 2 have done it too, have sort of dipped toes into the tabletop scenes and arrived at the very, very top tier. I think that's what you were saying, wasn't it, Colin? I don't think I put it quite that way, but I think I told you where people were ending up and that that's the way to take that. Um, I mean, there's definitely been from the, the guys coming that, you know, I mean, when you have that much experience, it helps a lot. Um, Happy Grew won Chaos Cup. Um, Dasher Go has been involved in tabletop for longer, but he won LVO. Um, mm -hmm. At both those events, the group of Fumble guys who went to it kind of littered the top third. Um because when Brian so, yeah, talked about you know turning up to his local league and some of them had been playing for 10, 15 years, I thought, yeah. And Colin's played that many games in an afternoon. Yeah, I mean, that's not yeah. completely wrong. Um, and there's there's definitely some of that. I think that um, the more games you can get online than you're ever going to be able to get on tabletop, the more varied TV making you have to try new things, it being easier to go and just like try a new race because you don't have to like get models either find a bar or buy them or whatever um i think it stretches people in ways that is tough to get in tabletop um one thing i feel like i've noticed is a lot of the better coaches that i've either watched the end of their games when i'm done or played against i feel like there's a more conservative nature from the tabletop guys than mm -hmm. um from you know the guys i'm used to happy grew uh is not a conservative coach by no. nature, as an example. Yeah. Um, and a lot of it is finding the switch turns and the, the times to really go for it and push and not do the stand your guys up first because you really need to know what happens. Right. Versus, well, I need to stand guys up first because nothing I do matters that much. Um, I do think there's some differences there. Um, Steve, you are a, a commenter of the, the nature of North American Blood Bowl. Do you agree in this? controversial online player states we're better than tabletop players which is so how i'm choosing I'm gonna, to interpret that obviously i'm going to point back to again experience from other game systems um whoever has the most volume of games has a huge edge uh, it doesn't matter what the format is and by the time that you get to where you've played 100 games of blood bowl versus oh, I got my starter kit and I just press fit my dudes and we're throwing them on a table, you know, you start to think of 
you know, instinctually you're like, okay, this one's a blocker. It comes with this by default, you know, it, it's in your head. It's ingrained already. Whereas if you don't have that volume of games, you're like, okay, wait, what's this guy's strength? Oh, it's this, what's this one's, you know, whatever it's gonna affect things. And I think the online players are just gonna have an edge as long as they can translate whatever they were doing online to the uh, physical pitch. Well, I mean, Dasha Garou's yeah. in the chat, and he's just credited Fumble entirely for uh, the quality of his play, which is very nice of him. Um, I do think Fumble has sort of internationally some of the top, certainly NAF-style players regularly playing and practicing their game there. Um, mm -hmm. it, it, is this like poker there, where we're seeing some of the online community taking it to different places and bringing a whole different style and ethos into that tabletop world, just as hopefully the new rules are bringing a whole new bunch of people in as well? Is that all mixing together into a healthy scene? Um, I think more players equals healthy scene. I mean, if you don't have players at an event, like Brian was talking about, you don't want to you know, necessarily go show up to somewhere that's going to be 10 people if you had to take a flight to do it. But getting people in the mix and then getting different skilled coaches in the mix, one thing I've noticed about kind of the tabletop legends is they don't underestimate anybody. Like, they'll sit down and they're ready to play their A game, and even if they're laughing and having a good time, like, they're reading it for what it is. And I feel like the, uh, I don't know, I feel like that that's part of that skill set that comes with having played online a lot. Um, as far yeah, as, I mean, yeah, go ahead. It's just like what you said earlier, the difference between a starter set and 100 games. You know, I've probably played over 4,000 between all formats. It's just Fair. like there, there's almost nowhere the board can look that I haven't seen at least once, right? And so... Um, you know, I mean, I've talked to some people after I played, and there's very much a like. I, I come across so often as like I casually just know what to do. Like I start my turns quickly, and like I know where I'm where I'm going with them. Um. Uh, bad dog. That was uh, probably me then. Um, I was. I believe I was the only one of us playing ability, at uh, at LVL. Um, He's usually slightly madder of eye and has long hair that's tied back yeah. at the moment. But yeah, I mean, it's just, and a lot of it is just, if you've seen things, you have a better idea what to do. It's why what um, Brian was saying earlier about how if you only play one race, you should really try more. And I mean, it's, you should like, because even if you're not going to play in the same way as someone else, you start to see how they're going to be played. And yeah. an experience edge just matters a lot. Um, and one thing I've definitely noticed about the tabletop community is the guys who are used to winning um are very much don't have a problem like with it right like i mean I, my second tournament i think i took nobles and went 3-0-0 and one of the other guys there was like hey can i see your roster um or you know people just like are willing to ask questions and and he wasn't checking it was legal he was just interested well yeah because he, well he didn't play me so he didn't care. well actually he won the tournament on tiebreaker so he really didn't care you know if, if i'd won on the tiebreaker maybe that's what he was checking but um Overall, I just definitely think it's a different environment that gets you to look at some parts of it a different way and that some of that translates and some doesn't and you just got to figure out what does and doesn't. Now, another aspect of that different environment is they won't sell Blood Bowl stuff because, you know, it doesn't appeal to 13-year-old boys. But there is a games workshop shop about a mile and a half from my house. Uh, they're not called that anymore. They're now all called Warhammer. But that, that sort of, you know, the games workshop itself is is about an hour and a half's drive for me, the distance you'd happily go for breakfast, and I would go, you know, for a weekend if I'd planned it properly and had all the right equipment. 
Um, how easy is it to get Blood Bowl stuff in North America? Is it is it available? Can you get teams? Can you? So I've got a Warhammer store near me. Um, they because I was coming around, I think I, I kept asking about it. I was really trying to start a Reno League. Um, just put in time, put in time, whatever. But they started carrying a little bit extra. Originally, they would just have the, you know, whatever the seasonally they had just printed, you know, a couple boxes of those teams and like one starter set or something like that. But as far as the other shops that carry Games Workshop stuff, it's maybe they'll have like a team or two is kind of what I see. I don't feel like it's hard to find this stuff. You just have to find the shops that do support it. But, uh, I kind of question with the internet being a thing, you know, and we're just so used to buying stuff online now. I don't know how much it really matters, sure. honestly. It, it only matters from someone who, you know, gets into the game because they walked into a store and saw it. But I think a lot of people get into Blood Bowl because somebody else told them about it. So a year ago, presumably, Colin, you had a, an empty gaming shelf somewhere in your house that you didn't realize was a gaming shelf yet. And now oh, it is. No. It's in my and... closet. It's in that one right there. That used to be just a closet, and now it's the gaming closet. One year on, um, so how has it been to acquire the stuff you you need and presumably take? You know, your dice cups, your um, mats, your dice, your paints, your lucky charm. Well, in theory, it would be easy because it's like a twenty minute walk to a place that has stuff. But I haven't really bought much of anything. <laughs> okay. Um, most, of what, I mean, most of what I had was either from the box set or stuff I've been gotten at tournaments. Um, or um, I've been just like given a team by someone. They had an extra lizard team and they heard I liked lizards and was like, here. Uh, so I haven't had to really like try yet. Okay, so you're basically living off the kindness of others. Yeah, yeah, which I, I do recommend whenever you can. Okay, yeah. but if you're going to be that shameless, you should just own it and say that. Um, so what advice, because presumably we have roped in some North American coaches that wouldn't normally watch this show thinking they were going to get all sorts of wonderful, good advice. I don't feel we've given them much. Um, let's let's talk about some advice for a, a North American coach seeking either to play online or on tabletop or just be involved in Blood Bowl. Let's assume they're, they've been, they're Blood Bowl curious. What would you say? How would you get them? And what would you advise them to do and to say and to go? Uh, and I'll start with Colin because, you know, you're, you're a, a leading figure in the fumble world. You should have this sort of answer down, Pat. What are you saying I mean, to me? In, hey, y'all, I want to get into Blood Bowl. What should I do? Anyone who's interested in uh, playing Blood Bowl online, um, we've got a lot of resources on Fumble. And uh, if you just send me a message on Discord or join Fumble and send it to me there, I can help point you in the right direction to go. Um, besides that, it's kind of going to depend on like your area. Um, if you're in the Texas area, I'm in a Discord that has all of the local tournaments listed and everyone local who's involved. Um, and yeah, I mean, there's always going to be, you know, if you just got to find the right people in your area and uh, mm -hmm. they should know where to point you to go. Now, I said to you, because, you know, I, you do blame me slightly for all of this. I said to you that the first tournament you go to, you know, you'll, you'll talk to someone before you go when you book your ticket. That person will come and say hello. They'll know you're new. You know, they'll, they'll keep an eye on you. And by your second tournament, you'll recognize people and be talking to them. Has that been the case? Are Americans friendly to each other at these things? Oh, yeah. I mean, um, Dasher Go was at the first tournament I went to. So I already knew him going in, although I didn't met him. So I met people. So you knew him without him. meeting him in that right. very modern way. 
Um, and I mean, it was a fun tournament. They, uh, they served alcohol there. So like my last game on the top table, the guy was like, well, let's go have shots first. I'm like, this is a horrible idea, but I did it anyway. Um, then I went with a couple of them afterwards across the street and we had a beer and then I saw those same guys in another tournament and talked more and, you know, it's definitely continued there. It's a very friendly group I found. Um, you've had some thinking time now, Steve. What's your advice? I want to uh, play me some Blood Bowl. Help me, <laughs> sir. Help me. Well, if you're looking to play some Blood Bowl, what I'd recommend is uh, now, um, basically, just if it looks cool, learn about it. Like, I I don't want to go on a kids these days rant, but it seems like a lot of people are scared of reading. Like, just pick up a rule book and just flip through it. Like, you'll you'll figure out a bunch of stuff. You'll see lore. You'll see pictures. Like, there's a bunch of cool stuff in there. But really, like y'all were saying, uh, just find people who play and, you know, play with them. Like, interact or whatever. You can also obviously go online. You can socially network like crazy in this game, which is kind of just what I've done, even just being back in the scene for a couple years. But, uh if someone really wants to get into it just from the practical standpoint, if they want to get into tabletop, uh, I recommend at this point finding a rule book. It's good to have a physical copy just because it's easier to flip through. You learn where everything is and you can actually like learn a bunch of stuff from it, surprisingly. But uh, that, pick a team you like. Um, it doesn't have to be a Games Workshop team. It just has to be something that you're going to be invested enough in terms of interest to keep that attention span up, to actually take the time to get good with it. And then I would recommend picking up one of the third-party uh, pitches, one of the rollout ones that has the templates built in. That is the cheapest way to get into Blood Bowl. You just need rules, you need a team, you need a pitch. And then uh, block dice, which block dice, you're going to you're gonna have to pretty much get you know, if you're planning on hitting a tournament, you'll have to have some games. And then something dice, to mark but... your skills, little loom bands or something. Yeah, which I don't even count those because it's like two bucks for a And bag. a dice cup or else but... I will cut your hands off if you're sliding dice. See, I've got opinions about dice cups only because I've encountered a few who do the, uh, you know. Oh, like shake, 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 slap. Only if you need to break armor. <laughs> but, you know, for the cow's roll, I'm fine. But if I'm breaking armor, that's getting a slam. That's... Uh... Something I will say to new players if you're trying to get into tournaments is learn your stats, please. You don't have to be an expert. Look over all the teams and have a rough idea what the different pieces do. Just anything to avoid slow play because this is coming from other game systems again too, but I've had only a few games luckily, but I've had a few games where I've, you know, if it was, I already have a loss under my belt and it's the second day. I just kind of give up on my opponent slow playing because it's like, I don't want to be that guy who looks like a jerk, you know, uh, trying to call it out. And I already know I'm not going to be top three. So I've got a couple losses on my record just from somebody taking forever and me being like, oh, did, you know, oh, okay, what were you going to do next? You know, trying to give all the hints and everything. And there's just not a nice way to be like, hey, my opponent sucks, you know? So, ref, it's ref, can we have is. a chest clock? Unfortunately, my opponent is an idiot. Um, no, it's it's difficult, isn't it? Oh, yeah, difficult. just learn the stuff. I mean, read the rules at least once. If you're gonna if you're gonna play the game, just read them through once. It doesn't have to all make sense. You can ask questions online. Also, I will point to Shameless Self Promotion, my channel. Uh, I do winner interviews. Uh, is I try to get them on camera as much as possible. Um, but I always ask them if somebody's trying to get into the hobby, what do you recommend? So I have tons and tons of people who are way better than me answering that question on there already. So. Something else so very that. American of you, Steve. I do think you should do some loser interviews just for balance. You know, I would be down. 
I would be super down. No. I can only catch a few people because everybody's ready to leave by the time it's yeah. over. Aren't they ready to get a meal? Get out, get out of that place where you've spent two days and played six games already. Um, there is a topic I've saved till this point in the podcast because I do think it's going to be controversial. And yes. after the last few, I wanted to, you know, have a nice friendly one. Mm-hmm. Draws. Okay. Most Americans think of them as sex with your sister. How are you persuading <laughs> Americans that you can spend two and a half hours playing a game and it can end in an honorable draw? How, how does that go down in the States? Depend for me personally, depending yep. on the matchup. If it's a really, really like what's supposed to be a lopsided matchup, a draw is a win sometimes. But but it's I think, not. It's a draw. Right. I just I think it comes down to any anytime you messed up and you know you messed up, you could still win and know you made a couple major misplays and know you only won because your opponent misplayed too. To me personally, I take that as, oh man, I misplayed. I shouldn't have done that, you know? And whether the result is a draw or a loss, it all kind of hits the same. I think losing on like a top table or towards the end of a tournament, if you've been doing really well, like, or hitting a draw there, probably feels worse than just hmm. hitting your first game as a draw. But I mean, something like the, the, the Chaos Cup with 150 yeah. coaches, a draw is going to, you know, screw your chances of winning. But, right. you know, in a, in a six game, 40 person tournament, you can get away with a draw, maybe. Um, at the NAFSI in the UK, you, you definitely can't. Um, but I'm not I'm not kidding about this question. I'm being silly, silly about it. But the North mm-hmm. American popular actual sports don't contain draws. They all have results factored into every time they play. American football, baseball, hockey. I think in ice hockey, can you draw or do they just settle it with a fight? I don't I don't know that one. <laughs> but, but the rest of it, there are, are no draws. And yet Blood Bowl, I think the fundamental expectation when most people sit to play a game is mm. what do I do to stop this being a 1-1 draw? Colin, am, am I right? Is this alien to the American psyche or do people just cope with it? I mean, there's definitely, a, I feel like, in general, Americans have more of a problem with draws. Um, I haven't found that much at, like, tournaments. Um, but definitely some of the leagues I'm in, people want to, like, change the score structure to something to disincentivize draws or whatever or talk about why don't we just have o- overtime on all the time. And uh, I don't know. I mean, I'm just like, hella wrong. Fine. Because um, it's the but, rules. Yeah, well, and it's, you know. But is yeah, that the same cultural part, problem as the idea of, it's you know, this is American football. I want to throw it. I want to have deep receivers. Out, I mean, I I've, not, I've, I've not found people passing a lot, at least in the little bit of tabletop I've played so far. So, like, I mean, it's something that I think I'd see more, but I just haven't really. So I don't know how prevalent that actually is, or if it's just that, like, you know, by the time people are going to tournaments, they've grown out of it or not. Okay, we have a random question in the chat, which I'm going to take, just because I've never answered this myself on stream, and I'm going to. <laughs> how do we feel about people who know they have two roles to do something? So, for example, armor and injury at the same time. If they've got two different colored sets of dice, can they roll all four at the same time? Are you cool with that? I've seen it done so... a lot with a pickup and sure hands. Someone just say, okay, it's a dwarf picking up. It's three plus or three plus again with sure hands. I'm just going to roll two dice. And if either is over a three, I've done it. If is it's that clarified, okay? like, I guess I'm kind of okay. It depends on if I'm getting any kind of shady vibes from my opponent, then I'll probably be like, hey, you might just roll them separate, you know, kind of thing. But in general, with Blood Bowl, luckily I haven't really had that. Any mistakes I've seen in game have been just like, we're both forgetting, you know, it's round five and our brains are fried kind of thing. 
but uh i don't know man i'm a by the book kind of person i think if you follow things by the book and you clearly announce like even when i touch a player i'm like move action and then i move you know like i'm i announce i am clear on what i do and i yeah, think if you saying, do that, it saves a lot of it saves a lot of potential trouble unless the point where a really... couple of opponents have told me off for it um right but i i mean there's one player i, I won't name them because obviously it's a bit of an embarrassing story for them um but you'll sit down with Gegster and he'll play 17, he'll roll 17 sets of dice and he'll turn and go, right, you've just lost. I'm like, well, how, what happened? Who? He goes, well, I moved there, yeah. made that throw, that was the armour, and then I did this, and, and now I've won. So now every time I roll dice, I'm like, so I'm rolling for armour, now I'm rolling for injury, this is the go for it. And that way I don't get confused as well. So um, I'm a big, yeah. big fan of call everything as you're doing it. And make a lot of eye contact so they understand what's happening and where you're both at in the chain. Um, but I just I maintain eye contact the entire game. I never stare even at look them. at the board. Stare straight at them. You, they got to feel it in their soul. Ball. Don't even look at the dice as you roll them. Just know what they are as you maintain that eye contact. Seven. Are you are you serious about your competitiveness? You do come over as super competitive at times, Steve. Okay, so when you say competitive, let's define the terminology first. Please do. Um, Okay, so competitive for me means you want to do a good job in the game. Uh, when I say min-maxing, I don't mean it in a dirty way. I just mean it as in, like, oh, it'd be real fun to take this random skill on something. Or, you know what, I can be patient one game and just get a skill that I know for sure will work. Like, I'll just go ahead and take the one I know, you know, can work. That doesn't mean I'm not having fun. That doesn't mean whatever. It just means I analyze stuff. I'm really... I've never been accused of being a rules lawyer. Like I've never done it for the sake of getting an advantage. And anytime I've called out incorrect rules, it's uh, often come down against me, you know, just because I'm like, Hey, just the game actually works this way. Just kind of letting you know, it's on page 89 in the top right corner, you know, kind of thing. But, uh, Sounds like a very friendly like I, I don't have my entire ego tied to winning or losing. Like I have a lot to learn from getting back into this game still. And I'm loving the process of, of learning it and to me just doing the best i can it's kind of one of my drives like i love the hobby aspect i love even the storytelling it's so silly and fun you know but i don't know if i'm gonna play a game like i'm gonna play a game you know uh, colin same question i mean i've talked to you three minutes after you've lost a game on fumble um and i could put that on my chips and eat it with some vinegar there's some salt there sir you care you <laughs> uh, care yeah. about your yeah. blood bowl Oh, yeah. I mean, my entire self-worth is uh, tied, tied to my results, moving little miniatures around and rolling dice. As it should be. I, I'm loving the sarcasm, something I previously wasn't aware happened in your continent-sized country. Um, is it easier on tabletop to, to chill out and just enjoy yourself? I mean... And as a man with a standing desk, do you do it always stood up? Uh, I don't always have it stand up. I don't right now. But I often do. Um... I don't know about tabletop because, like, frankly, my results have been too good for me to know how I'd handle not doing well. So you've too much winning to know what losing feels like. So far in tabletop, yeah. That strikes me as a table flipper in the making. Yeah, so no. you need to take more shots before each game is what I'm hearing. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Maybe that would maybe that would help. But, um, no, I mean, I'm definitely highly competitive, but it's mainly... Normally when I'm really frustrated, it's because I know that I really messed up somewhere and did something that I knew in the moment was dumb. And then it went be like as dumb as possible as it could be. Like one of the games I drew in Las Vegas, I was really debating whether to do a rush or not. 
And it's like, I really don't know that this is smart. And then I did it and then I snaked it. And then hmm. it's like, yeah, that was dumb because I didn't really gain anything. Uh, and so like that sticks with me, but like the game I lost, I didn't really feel bad about it at all because I thought I played reasonably well until I forgot that big ends are move five. Mm-hmm. Which they so are. you're just moving them and four and stopping. No, oh, no. My, uh, my opponent did that. two rushes and a long bomb to a big end to win, oh. um, okay. <laughs> which didn't bother me at all. I was like, ah, oops. <laughs> Um, Do you know, this but, is because you've been stuck in the Oxbow Lake of Blood Bowl 2 for too long. Yes, exactly. I well, everyone like, else oh, has been works, enjoying the 2020 it? rules. Yeah, I, I went through and thought of all, like, I, I thought I had everything covered, and I did not. And they did the right thing. And so I'm perfectly fine with losing in that case. Um, it's just frustrating when I feel like, you know, I had it, and then I made a mistake that, like, gave it away. Yeah. Um, especially if it's, like, not me forgetting something. It's me, like, actively doing something I'm unsure on. Yeah, the longer okay. you think about a rush, statistically, the odds of you succeeding go down. <laughs> and the one over the touchdown line is 50-50 at the start anyway. Oh, so. yeah. Um, is there a lot of superstition around Blood Bowl in America? I think of it as a very superstitious country. Uh, that's superstitious is, I would say, an apt description. Other people would choose to use different terminology, but it's, it's pretty accurate. Um I, I know when it comes to dice, like when it comes to dice sharing, the concept is just like, you know, like especially in a post-COVID world, people aren't trying to touch each other's stuff that much. But like even people who weren't so big on, you know, COVID protocols, like it's still like touching their dice. It's, it, it'd be like going and sitting on the hood of their car or something. Uh, it just seems like it crosses this line, which to me, it's it seems like a perfectly fine like tournament balancing mechanic and usually what i do if it's gonna be like a sweaty match i'll ask hey are you cool with switching dice at the half and if they say yes then i'm like okay cool we don't have to (laughs) because that kind of covers that base but yeah i've definitely seen dice stuff um beyond that i don't i don't know i i've seen people do stuff in kind of a, a habitual way i wouldn't call it ritualistic though if that makes sense now, I do think we've gone on half an hour beyond Brian, which shows that we didn't need him in the first place. Um, I didn't want him to go and then it all fall apart. That would have felt like, you know, he was the life and soul of the party. He's not. It's my show. Um, but I do think it's about time we wrapped up. I've kept you lovely people on for a very long time, and it's, I think, been interesting. There's a question I did promise my partner. I, I'll give you context as to why that I would ask, so I am going to. It's not coming from me. She, her, her folks, my in-laws, have recently moved from Washington State down to one of those old people retirement communities in Florida where everyone has to be over 50 uh, okay. and white, I, I think. Okay. Um, but she was allowed in briefly to visit them, went to the pool area, and actually there was a, a black American and his wife were there with a few other people around the pool, all these older people. And as he got up to leave the pool, she noticed he picked up his handgun and put it into his swimming trunk holster before mm-hmm. walking back to his, his place. Her question is, have you ever seen a gun at a Blood Bowl tournament in America? Does that happen? I went through a few Texas tournaments, like, way on back. Nothing was NAF certified. Uh, so it's these are just lost to time. I didn't see any guns at a Blood Bowl tournament, but I knew plenty of people who carried. And, you know, when I went to Oregon, even you'd see some people, which, you know, you could kind of see the bulge, like you just knew. 
but uh, it, Texas, I would say it was more common to see people with guns in different places. Like I saw some in Walmart and things like that. I think it's probably a little played up, uh, you know, just because it seems so crazy to some other places, mm. like how much. The same thing I was talking about It's a about stereotype, earlier. and I'm all about exploding them, as well as enjoying them and laughing yeah, about them. Uh, yeah, and I think it depends on the region. The uh, region's a big part of it. It I is, don't... so let's talk to a Texan. Um, yeah. Baza, has anyone at tournaments you've been to not been armed? Not been armed? Um, <laughs> I, I, I can't be sure one way or the other, to be honest. Um, you know? but it's no, a hidden carry, carry, hidden carry state, isn't it? I'm not nearly observant enough to trust that I'd notice it if they did have a gun. So, I really don't know. Okay. I did um, see... I did see uh, at a Games Workshop store, a guy carried his 40K army in a gun case with custom foam, and he forgot that he wasn't bringing in the right case, so he just opened up his gun case in the shop. But everybody laughed about it, like we we do the guy we're I'm chilling, counting you know? that as having seen a gun at a tournament. That That's a tick that in the box funny, for me. Though. There you are. It was everyone that thought, what's he asking that for? It turns out it was a, permanent, a pertinent question. Um, as we finish, I just want to give this a chance to you. Other than, obviously, uh, let's talk up your lovely uh, your content provision again. It's a YouTube channel, isn't it? Yes, uh, it's a YouTube channel. I was looking at doing a podcast eventually, but I think the visuals are too important to what I do. Um, I mainly cover North American uh, Blood Bowl tournaments. Uh, it's the ones I go to. Like I said, I do it pseudo-vlog style. So I'll talk about a little bit about the area and stuff, too. I, I want to convey the experience. And typically, you can kind of just skip to the end, and I try to do the rosters that won or did well or were interesting. And I'll do a quick little you know, couple-minute interview with the person who was running it, asking some basic advice and stuff. I do some general, like I'm about to finish a series uh, that's just covering every skill in the Blood Bowl 2020 book. I'll go through and kind of rate them, say what they have synergy with, and then uh, read any FAQ or errata, you know, allowed alongside it. Because just just technical stuff, just to make it a little more, you know, digestible. So I do some stuff like that too, and I'm delving a little bit into hobby. But the main thing I want to do with it is cover North American tournaments. But yeah, no, I mean, I'll... I've I've enjoyed the. I mean, I haven't constantly I've watched all of them, but I have watched a fair few, uh, and found them really interesting. A really different angle, a really informed approach. Um, and then Thank one you. really odd interview with someone who plays Blood Bowl shirtless, which would make me very uncomfortable, but maybe that's the point of it. Um, yeah. It takes all sorts to make a glorious world of Blood Bowl. Um, Colin, what about uh, yourself and Fumble? What's what's going on in the world there? Um, I said we'd talk about um, you running tournaments. Are we doing any of that at the moment? Yeah. Um, so, well, there will be a new major starting sometime soon once I make some like decisions. Uh but applications will probably open either this week or next. Um, we now have a new tournament series that's tied to Black Box Trophy. So if you get the highest score with a race during a Black Box Trophy season, you can enter a tournament that will have one of each race that will start at the end. Um, and so the current season eight, which started a few weeks ago, will be the first one of those. Um, yeah, I think that's exciting. And I think Black Box Trophy has really captured a lot of people's imagination. There's a lot of people doing their Blood Bowl that way. Um, I'm, I'm going to come to you both again for anything you want as a final thought. I just want to put mine in on something that we, we went past and I wanted to talk about it a tiny bit more. Um, I did a One World, One Blood Bowl episode over a year ago now, uh, before the NAF, NAFC, the NAF Championships in the UK in 2022. And based on that um, alone, that episode, uh, a gentleman called Wildman Tex 
a good friend of mine now, well, a friend of mine now, contacted me via Facebook uh, or via YouTube, I forget which, and said he was coming over for the NAFC. Didn't know anyone really in the UK. Um, you know, really enjoyed the show and it, it gave him good advice. And I said, well, that's great, but if you, know, you don't know anyone, then feel free to say you know me and pop in and we'll have a drink. Um, and I think that's kind of the attitude to everyone in Blood Bowl. So even if you're not crossing the seas to do it, if you know you're going to a tournament, as you book the ticket, if you don't know anyone, just say, I'm, I'm new to tournaments or I don't know anyone there. And mm-hmm. I bet you a pound to a penny or a dollar to a cent that the, the person you contact, the tournament organizer, will make sure that they spend some time with you, that they chat to you or that someone else is doing so. Um, it, it's a social hobby and people are very social about it. And in terms Absolutely. of the online community, exactly as Colin said, you know, come online onto the Fumble server, onto my Discord, onto the North American Discord. Just say hello, chat to people, say that you're new or say that you're, you know, want to get into Blood Bowl and help will be provided. Or say I've played for 10 years, but I've never done it online. Or I hear you do leagues in North American time zones, that sounded cool. And someone will always help because that's how in Blood Bowl we, you know, we, we get you along and we keep you involved. So do spread the word, do come along and do talk to people. Um, even if you're American, uh, there are places in America playing loads of Blood Bowl. There are places online that aren't just dead zones. Um, you can get a black box game you know, at three in the morning UK time or at reasonable evening time East Coast and early evening West Coast time. That is possible. It does happen. Happens still on Blood Bowl 2. I'm sure it will happen on Blood Bowl 3. It may be trickier. There's a lot more people in Europe playing, but there is a decent continent over there. Not just, of course, your country, but north of you. There's a load of Canadians playing Blood Bowl. Um, mm-hmm. There's Mexicans, there's South Americans playing Blood Bowl. So there's two entire continents in your time zone, and there are people playing the Blood Bowl. It may be more difficult in terms of one tight physical location, uh, but there's tournaments all over the place. And if it's a reasonable city you live in, there's a reasonable chance there's a Blood Bowl league. So reach out, talk to people. Yep. Most people in Blood Bowl are friendly. Uh, and also, they'd love it because you look new and they think they'll get an easy win. Um, now, that's given you some thinking time. Uh, I will come, first of all, to Steve. No bribe foul. Lin- lend us your, your final words. Uh, well, thanks for having me on. This has Pleasure. been awesome. Um, what I can say is I've had nothing but a pleasant experience playing Blood Bowl. And anyone who has the casual interest, like you've been saying, the scene is so chill. It's ridiculous. Like I've played a lot of games and the level of camaraderie amongst total strangers that I've seen rolling dice and playing with toys, like it's just a blast. And almost all events I've gone to, you know, we go out to eat after like, it's, it's cool. It's accepting, you know? And I just, I don't know. I've really enjoyed my time with it. Um, And I think if anyone wants to get better at the hobby aspect, get better in terms of tournament results, wants to go for best stunny, like whatever. Like if you just want to play to play, like one of my last opponents at my last event I went to, it was, uh, I think he said he had only played 10 games of Blood Bowl before he went there. And he was having a blast with his quarantine with no rerolls, just getting to do the game mechanics. And that stuck out in my brain is like one of my most fun games I've had in a while, you know, but yeah, I mean, if the game seems interesting, get into it, you know, and this, this community is great. I appreciate all y'all. I appreciate people who follow me, people who don't, whatever, you know, just get out there and just play games and go to uh, tabletop tournaments. Cause it's the best format. And Bazakistin, King of the fictitious Turkish middle ages country. <laughs> what are your thoughts on blood bowl in a big country? Um, I don't know. It's fun. Um, I've been enjoying it. As I said, tabletop's been more enjoyable than I expected going in. I've really liked playing it. Um, I think that if you want to play online, you're going to be able to get games, even though, as you said, there's less of them. 
Um, but there's always some place you can go and people who seem to be generally, um, you know, good people. You are going to have to accept, though, that it is a sport where USA is not number one. But it could be. You've got the people, you've got the potential, you've got the talent. And I believe in I mean, you, USA. You may be a small country, Blood Bowl wise, but you've got a big heart. You can get there. Um, that has been One World, One Blood Bowl, number 31. Uh, let's wave and say goodbye. It gives me an easy thing to find in the edit. Thank you all very much for coming. Uh, as always, I will see if there's anywhere to raid you onto now that the actual show is done. Um, I need to get.